Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 4 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about the fourth episode of the third season of Mr. Robot. I am Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by a man. Everything means nothing to this guy, which means everything to you, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? F Society. <laughs> F Society. F Society. Yeah, that's how I am. No, Josh, it's great to be here. I'm excited to talk about this episode with you. I'm a little... This episode really hurt me, Josh. It cut me to the core. I'm a little worried about Darlene. I'm a lot worried about Darlene, if I'm being perfectly honest. So I'm excited to get into that with you. And I should say excited. I shouldn't say it because I'm, I don't know how exciting it is. It's pretty sad. This episode's pretty depressing for me when I look back on it. Bleak episode Bleak. of Mr. Robot, indeed. An episode that is spending a lot of time with uh, the great Carly Chaikin as Darlene Alderson, as we are finding out a little bit more about how she is seeing the world right now, clearly caught between a rock and a hard place with her situation with the FBI, possibly being targeted by the Dark Army, certainly having just lost Cisco. Now she's charged with a couple of other assignments in this episode as well, keeping track of Ellie and his turn into Mr. Robot, unfortunately stumbling upon another friend who has some seemingly nefarious purposes in Angela. Uh, so it's a really complicated episode for Darlene, who may or may not be hitting the road by the end of the episode. We really don't know what's going on there. Uh, but a very emotional episode as well, featuring music from one of my all-time favorite musicians. I'm a big Elliot Smith fan, so it was really nice to see some Elliot Smith here in Mr. Robot. But Aside from that, yeah, like, uh, dark, dark, dark episode of Mr. Robot. Not like this is a bright and bubbly show to begin with, Antonio, but this one just felt very mournful in a way. It did, and the Elliot Smith certainly adds to that. And it's an Elliot Smith cue at the beginning and end of the episode. It's there It's there, seemingly underneath the entire time because the feeling is there, the the mood is there. And definitely, it's, it's about time, Josh, that we got Elliot Smith on the show about Elliot Alderson and family. So a good connection there. I, I definitely, you said Dar- Darlene is between... Iraq in a hard place, but I thought F Society was from Iran. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's not that good. Uh, honestly, no, it's not no, that that's good. Gonna cut deep with me. Um, plenty more jokes like that coming your way through the rest of this podcast. Uh, just to give you the business, in case you don't already know the business, this is the Mr. Robot Recap Podcast here on Post Show Recaps, done in collaboration with The Hollywood Reporter, where I am doing interviews and write-ups all season long about Mr. Robot. You can read all of that great stuff, including our weekly column with Cora Adana at T hr.com slash MR robot. And to subscribe to what we're doing on this podcast, you can subscribe at postshowrecaps.com slash robot. We would love your reviews. We would love your ratings. Uh, that would be fantastic. It would help us very, very much as we are continuing our journey here with all things robot through season three, which is really going great. I mean, it's still, you know, like it's a little bittersweet this week. It just has that sort of feeling of sadness, uh, to it, but it's just been, it's been a very exciting season and a really great season of Mr. Robot so far, I think. 100%. There's a four out of four. We talked last week, three out of three, three home runs. This is four out of four. And it it just, even though not a ton story-wise happened in this episode, we didn't move the ball down the court a ton. We are barreling forward towards stage two taking off. This shows, I think, the strength of Mr. Robot when it comes to flexing character muscles, because it was a very Darlene-centric episode. We had a very good Darlene-centric episode last season as well, and it is mentioned here 
in the previously on. And it is something Darlene is clearly the events of which Darlene is still carrying with her when she murdered Madam Executioner in her posh, uh, whatever you want to call that. I don't even know a condo house, whatever that was that, that F society was living in. And Darlene F society, F society was living in. And Darlene uh, tasered her into the pool, knowing that she had a heart condition. And Darlene is still carrying all that around. So Mr. Robot as a show has this ability when they want to. It doesn't have to be all forward steaming story for the entire for the entire episode. It can really take the time to pause on these characters and what they're dealing with. And we did a lot of that with Elliot at the, in the first half of season two. And I think this is a really great time to, to revisit what you already, I think, well encapsulated is weighing down on Darlene. All of the things that she has brought with her to this episode and the things that happen to her within this episode. It just it doesn't look good for Darlene when it when, it, when we look at what's pointing forward. And she is refreshing the audience, I think, right away as she wakes up on this train at the beginning of the episode about what exactly she's carrying with her. And that's not even all of it, Josh. It's just the F society, take down the world economy, ruin people's lives and kill a woman part of it. She doesn't even bring up Cisco. She doesn't bring up the things that have happened with her brother, with her dad. So this is a Darlene is finding herself in a very uncomfortable and difficult position with really very few allies. Yeah, no, that's a really great point that she's really just talking about the big picture stuff. And she's not even when she's unloading on this uh, on the thief that she like, <laughs> like kind of befriends, or at least chooses to select as like her, her therapist at the moment. When she's unloading upon her, she's not talking about any of like the personal tragedies. She's really just talking about her role in destroying the world it makes you wonder, does that make you know, does that indicate that she feels like she's bought what she paid for? Right? Like, does she feel like she's getting what she's deserving? And just like, really, letting your mind wander to some of the dark places that that could take you it's just it's really upsetting to even consider especially for a character like Darlene who we love so much because she is always so ferocious and she is always the most cutting person in the room and she's always so bold and she seems so broken right now and it's a really really tough look I mean it's great work on Carly Chaikin's part and I think it's the natural direction for the character but it's hard to watch. Um, in terms of the overall ideas at play in this episode and sort of the driving themes of the narrative of this episode, this is from Cora Donna, uh, one of the writer-producers of Mr. Robot, who does a weekly column with us at THR, talking about what this episode is about. Cora writes, This episode is about Darlene letting things go, dealing with the past and putting things away. She confesses a murder to a stranger on the subway and admits that everything in her life is fucked. She tries to make peace with her brother she learns of that bombshell with angela all of her relationships are in flux her world is spinning out of control she longs for some semblance of normalcy which explains her looking up trips to budapest the same trip that she and cisco were talking about before there are feelings of reminiscing and missing the past this is an opportunity for darlene to take stock in all the terrible things that she's been through much of which she brought upon herself. Uh, so I think that that's a really, uh, you know, that's a really great summary of where Darlene's head is at going into this episode and really not changing very much by the end of the episode, I don't think, or at least not in any sort of outward way. No, and what happens over the course of the episode does inextricably link her to her brother, of course, which she already has a lot of these deep connections, but they've been ripped apart a little bit over the context of this season. But it is interesting from Core's perspective about what where Darlene is and what she's bringing into this and what this episode is checking in terms of her pulse, because you could contrast that to where Elliot is, and all Elliot Prime wants to do is undo the hack. He too wants to go back. He is so longing for 
for the past that he has created and manifested his father into his life. So we have to keep in mind that these two are not all that different, Elliot and Darlene. There are different points on the spectrum of how they're dealing with this. And there are different points in terms of how deep they are with what's happening in stage two and how they're responding to the hack. And poor Elliot is not even in control of the half of him that wants to keep pushing forward, even as the other half of him is trying to undo everything. And that half is certainly a lot more like Darlene. But Darlene doesn't have the luxury of of just disappearing and forgetting about these things or leaning into a part of her personality which doesn't have the guilt or doesn't have that sense of frustration or responsibility. She has to own that and live with it and also be aware that there are those personal problems out there that she has to deal with. And I think that this is really shows what the weight of that looks like when it comes down to a person because we see that she's we know she's working with the FBI after she gets off the train, we see the, the 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 scene from last week ultimately playing out in a in a different timeline or or in a different way. Uh, in a different, it's the same exact scene, but we're seeing it slightly differently. The circular story telling that Mister Robot is known for, and it's uh, it's uncomfortable because we don't know if Darlene is talking to Elliot or Mister Robot. And we saw what happened the last time Darlene talked to Mister Robot. Josh, we speculated was this Elliot was it Elliot or was it Mister Robot in the apartment? And I think the show made a meal of that for sure yeah it was hard to hard to tell at the start of this episode so this episode does begin darlene is on a subway she is waking up to the tune of elliot smith's everything means nothing to me which is just a great song and really go and explore the whole catalog if you want to have a bunch of dark feelings uh beautiful dark feelings that's really everything that elliot smith is all about so darlene is listening to that and she notices that she's been mugged uh and really all she wants is she doesn't want her wallet back she doesn't want any of her belongings really except for one picture which we will we will be left in suspense about what that picture is until the end of the episode where it's uh where it's revealed that it's the picture that she's taken with her parents with elliot we've seen this photo before this is the photo that reveals uh the full extent of elliot's family back in season one i believe right Right. And it's the one, the Back to the Future photo, where when we first see it as an audience, it's only two people. It's only Elliot and his mother. Uh, and that's when we don't know that Elliot has a sister and it's Darlene and Elliot has a father and it's Mr. Robot. And it's only when Elliot comes to that realization and finds that photo as a point of reference that we as an audience really come to realize it as well. Yeah, so it's a very important photo in terms of the mythology of the show and clearly very important to Darlene as part of the uh, the Alderson family. Uh, so she's going to hang on to that. She's going to offload her feelings onto this poor, poor person who is going to have to take that with her and just like go about the rest of her day and at least her week wondering what the hell was that all about? Like what what what's going on there? Surely she will never be seen from ever again on the show. No, probably never again, right? Uh, it's uh, it's one of those things. I know you talked to Corradonna about this and said, is this a, a bill that might come due? Is this something? Are we keeping receipts on this? I do, should we worry about this scene since Darlene has confessed to pretty much an involvement in the hack, whether or not she's a crazy person rambling or not, but certainly confessed to a direct murder uh, and had her recognizable glasses on and certainly is somebody that is cutting a figure that you're not going to forget. Uh, I, I have concerns on a show like this, Josh, that we've not seen the last of this. Core's response was, you should always expect ramifications from the actions you see on the show. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
We shall see. He also responded with a Shakespeare quote, which is something that he has been enjoying uh, through yeah, all of these What the heck is going spells. on there? I don't know. There's certainly he's seeding out something. So like if you are a Mr. Robot fan who is trying to crack the code, these cracking the code columns clearly have codes in them. Uh, and something weird is going on with Billy Shakes, Antonio. And I don't know. I can't <laughs> shake it myself. Ah, uh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's there's a lot of numbers involved with this. I've I've not really sat down and tried to figure this out myself. I think the good folks on Reddit should really have a stab at this, and probably they could crack it within a matter of minutes. We have four examples of it now in these columns, so this is an opportunity for somebody to take a look at that and figure that out. We I definitely let us know. Give us a shout if you if you figure it out. So we're up to the current point in the timeline now, and we're we're getting to see Elliot's approach to Darlene's apartment, which is where we left him at the end of episode two. So after our Tyrell sojourn last week, we are now back in the present, uh, and Elliot is in here, and DDP and her partner Norm, they are nervous. They are trying to call Darlene. Darlene left her phone behind. That's a bad Darlene. You don't leave your phone behind. Don't leave your phone behind ever. You know what's great? What's crazy is if if the robber, uh, the lady who robbed her on the train, had had taken the phone, where would we be? Like, what what if she's got that phone and it's a direct line to the FBI? That's a it's an unfortunate thing to take. I think if you shoplift from somebody, is a direct tracking line to the FBI. So that I I never thought about that till you point out that she could have had her phone with her. But yeah, this is a instant stress. The drums in the background really add to the sense of stress in this scene. Super intense as it builds, and we're not sure because we did leave it off as Elliot was looking up at the camera and taking his hood down. And like I said, us not being sure if that was Mr. Robot or or Elliot himself in the room, what we were actually looking at. We're going to find out now who it was. So the drums building up and Darlene approaching and DDP and Norm freaking out. There's a lot of tension right away. Yeah, so that track is a track called Miyaki by uh, a Japanese drumming group called Kodo. Uh, and that's embedded in this column that I'm, that I'm doing with Core every week. And if you just want to get pumped up during your workday, just seek it out. Just play it. Like it's been getting me through, you know, the past several articles that I've had to write today. It's been very, very inspirational stuff. I'm going to have to read those articles you wrote and see if I can sense any of that tension in there. Just the drums building, your writing cascading. Like, are you using a lot more fricatives in your writing? Is that what's it's happening? Just, it's just been Plosives. very rhythmic. It's been very helpful. It's been very helpful with just settling into a rhythm. Uh, but Darlene, as she's going to approach her apartment, um, DDP is going to come out. Dom is going to come out because she doesn't have her phone, obviously, and she still needs to intercept Darlene. And she's going to say to Darlene, hey, yeah, Elliot's inside. Be cool. And then walk away. And it's like, wow. Wow, that is not cool to just drop on this person in this moment like that. But, you know, to her credit, Darlene is able to keep it pretty cool. She walks into her apartment. Elliot is there. And at first, I don't know about you, but like I couldn't tell which Elliot this was. I couldn't tell if this was our Elliot or if this was the Mr. Robot side of Elliot being portrayed by Rami Malek, because I do think that there is this idea in play of the show being able to like play with us in that regard a little bit more. They started doing it in season two, and I think they've done it a little bit more in season three. Whether he's actually crossing the line or not, I think that he's walking right up to the edge of it. And we know uh, 
from earlier this season, the way to tell when it's Mr. Robot or when it's Elliot is Mr. Robot's not going to look away from you. He's going to make perfect eye contact with you. He's going to be like very elegant in those kinds of motions, I think. Um, and the Elliot you see when you're going around the corner through Darlene's perspective, to me, really felt like Mr. Robot. Um, he's going to claim that it's not him, but it comes after like kind of like a twitch and a blink. And it made me wonder, like, is is that altogether true? Was that not Robot at first and then it's Elliot? But I think just the way that the episode plays out afterwards and the fact that we do get to witness a transition from Elliot to or from Robot to Elliot, I think it, it indicates to me that this is just Elliot in the apartment the entire time and not Robot, but it's really confusing at first and I think purposely so. Yeah, the twitch is the part that was especially confusing because you're not sure as you point out and Elliot's, Elliot's really in her face and threatening her and we saw what that looked like when he put his hands on her in episode two and she threatens him and he gets rattled at that point and steps back and that's when we see the twitch he starts looking away confused and he says darlene it's me uh and i it at the time i wasn't sure like did he switch was there a switch there but upon more views it feels to me like he didn't realize that oh my gosh i cannot even be serious or intense anymore to a person that knows that i have these dual sides because they're not sure which of me they're talking to like he's taken over my life in such a way that if i'm angry or intense or serious the person that i'm speaking to might think that they're talking to him instead and i think this really elliot's really taken Taken aback by this. And Darlene, as you point out, she's always very cutting and gets right to the heart of things. She said, Well, that's a pretty complicated statement coming from you when he says it's me. So uh, that scene, that scene when we realize it's Elliot, it has a much different tone to it than before when we thought it might be Mr. Robot. Yeah, and I think that that really comes from later on down the line where we're going to get a really good look at what that's like when Robot melts away and Elliot's left underneath. Like, it's a lot more dramatic than what we saw in just that one twitch in this, uh, in this scene. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And it is, it can be, it can be accentuated with sound. It can be accentuated with camera. We've seen them doing that throughout. We've seen them doing switches where the camera pans away and Rami Malik is there and then it, it slowly stays on the same, on the same shot, but just out of frame, there's a switch to Christian Slater. This is not one of those moments. This is playing, I think, a little bit with those disintegration feelings and it's mostly through the performance. So you're right. We're going to see a much more significant one later, but Josh Elliott is there because of the metadata. He's got the voiceover as he's entering the apartment. The story behind the data, getting information is one thing, but how it was created, where and by whom can often be illuminating. And I think that that's something that we're going to talk about a couple of other times in this episode. But in this case, the metadata did lead him right to Darlene. And he points out, listen, I knew there was something on my computer. I spotted it. I traced it back to here. You hacked me. And this is a very personal violation between the two of them, for sure. Please uh, wave the flag very loudly when you see more metadata stuff. I'm really curious to get like your insight into like how that works on a meta level. I know that's one of the things you love to track, so going to be really curious to get your takes on All that. All right, I got it in my notes. I'm ready. All right, sweet. So uh, Elliot's going to tell Darlene, I need to show you something. We got to go. That'll That'll take us to another scene with them very soon. But first... 
ribs for breakfast? <laughs> Why not? Right? Why not? Why not ribs for breakfast? I think ribs I guess for it's every seven breakfast. ribs. I guess it's seven ribs. Yeah. So we are going to have ribs for breakfast with Irving and Angela. Although Angela does not seem like she is going to be participating in the ribs for breakfast. Irving is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say shameless about this. Proud is probably too strong of a word. He's just a man eating his ribs and he's very happy to be doing so. And apparently he knows all about how to make a really good rib. It's the mop sauce. Did you know that the medallion of power sauce is the <laughs> is the secret sauce to all ribs? It's funny. I it's just uh, this is a very long uh, digression. But you and I podcast over at Reality TV wrap ups about the show Top Chef, and I was recently just rewatching one of the seasons that was the season that was set in Texas, and the chef from Kentucky, my home state, talks about how well we have this barbecue in Owensboro, Kentucky, where they use this mop sauce. And I swear to you, I watched that scene no more than a day before I saw the Mr. Robot episode. So I laughed really hard when Irving said mop sauce. I'm like, what is this mop sauce? Why is this following me throughout my life right now? So now all I want to do is eat ribs. I think in the future, this is going to be the way that ads are implanted in our brains. It's just going to follow us subliminally through the multiple shows that we watch. When you know you talk about metadata, people know what we're seeing and watching on Hulu and Netflix and streaming at all times. They'll find a way to link these ads throughout and bring us down. And that's how I am with mop sauce right now, Josh. All I want is some ribs, maybe some apple cider vinegar vinegar or beer either way some dry rub sounds delicious i'm into the acv my wife is really into the acv we're also really into the ribs we had a lot of ribs this week it was delicious so uh good timing good timing on on mr robot uh this podcast not sponsored by any kind of like rib apparatus we're not Uh, this uh, this isn't a red wheelbarrow branded podcast mr ribbit (laughs) yeah that's not happening no no i like i like uh iran in a hard place better if you ask me I like that as well. So what's going on in this scene? Irving and Angela meeting up. What's happening here? What's the information that's being exchanged? You know, it's just a little Friday. It's just a little Monday morning staff meeting kind of thing. Irving puts it and Angela observes it's Friday. Uh, it's a figure of speech. They're really talking about ultimately what's happening. Where is stage two? What is the status? And we have this timeline now that White Rose has put in place. We are, this scene does help us square ourselves in terms of where we are in relation to episode two and we knew we were 13 days away from what was happening when we had the vote coming up and all that now we're only 10 days away we're going to go on september 29th the boss put a lot of faith in you to manage those two knuckleheads irving is telling angela and this is a chain of command thing where irving doesn't have to manage these two anymore it's angela's job now and And the two knuckleheads it's not tyrell and elliot it's elliot and elliot right that's pretty great uh it could be either way it could be either way it could be elliot and elliot or tyrell and Elliot. You're probably right. It's probably Elliot and Elliot, uh, which is hilarious if, if Irving is that frank about what's going on, because we have speculated that Irving might not know, right? That Irving might not know earlier in the season when Irving said, it's funny because when uh, when he met me, it's like he never met me before. I, I, I He was all the way out. Like, I don't understand how he's all the way in now. And Angela defended him and said, oh, well, you know, you have to realize he just got shot in the chest. So does Irving know about the multiple Elliots? Uh, he certainly has a reason to believe it when he talks to Tyrell later in this episode that something's not right with Elliot. So it would be really funny if he's just making an offhanded joke about that. Uh, but Angela's basically saying, like, okay, well, this is a really tough timeline, and Angela's having some concerns about stage two, Josh. She says, we're evacuating so no one will be in the building when we go, right? Like, she's asking the same sorts of questions I think that a normal person would be concerned about. Like, this this thing, I don't mind taking down E-Corp, but we're not going to kill people, right? And what did you think about the way Irving responded to that? 
I think that he could have responded faster yeah. and like more confidently. <laughs> yeah, a long pause there. Yeah. I mean, like maybe he like had like a piece of ribs in his teeth and he wanted to like pick it out before <laughs> he opened his mouth. Is it a pluralized when it's just a piece? It's a piece it's of a, ribs, not a piece, it's of, a piece rib? of. It's a piece of ribs. It's like a piece it. of ribs. Like, like the whole, the whole, like with well, the one rib that you're eating is is still ribs when you're eating ribs. Like, I like it's it. a, it's you know, it's a thing that you're doing. You're eating ribs. You're not eating <laughs> rib by rib. You're going all ribs all the time. <laughs> it's a piece of ribs in his mouth. Yeah, is that yeah. why he paused? There was a long pause. There's a long pause. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, that's really convincing, Irving. Yeah, especially that's really convincing, especially from a guy who we've basically seen will say anything to anyone in order to get them to believe what they want to believe. This is a used car salesman. So, piece of ribs or not, I that pause is a little concerning to me because I think he was evaluating. Well, what does she want to hear? Like, what can I tell her? And we see him later in the episode baldly lying to Tyrell. So, I I do think that this is not something that as an audience we should put a lot of stock in that they've taken the time to make sure they're not going to be people in these buildings and they have an evacuation plan i really don't think that's the case yeah i don't think so either i mean all you have to do is consider like how does white rose view human life you know the the the, the disposability of people in white rose's plan like that has been a hallmark of the dark army throughout their time on the show just the way that they um you know will storm into a room and execute a slew of federal agents and government employees because that's just the way it's got to go right now uh, or the way that they executed Cisco just like in the middle of a street walking right up to a restaurant and just you know, going to town and having no restraint about that whatsoever. Even the way that White Rose has talked about some of the characters on the show, talking about how Elliot Alderson would need his focused rage to execute the plan. And then when the plan is finished, then he can die, just like his father, just yeah. like really unemotional. Sacrifices about for the greater good, he called uh, Elliot's dad and Angela's mom. So, yeah, I mean, the, the view of human life is not sacred with White Rose. It's all in, in terms, it's all sacrifices for progress. I mean, Look at what's happened in the wake of the hack and look what happened to society. And I think the F society, F society, the, the contrast is clear. Elliot and Darlene probably didn't think about it very closely. And maybe Mr. Robot did, but Elliot and Darlene didn't really think it through. They didn't think through. Okay. They, they had that. I think what you might call sophomoric view of revolution, like, Oh, it's, it's fun. It's a joke. And we're just going to take it down and we're going to make silly videos and poke fun at people. And we're going to teabag Congress. We're going to do all, all these things it'll be great and and really didn't think through what would happen with the lives that were impacted on the other hand i believe white rose who was involved via the dark army fully thought through the consequences that was a necessary evil in pursuance of her greater plan so yeah i i don't have a lot of faith that people are going to be safe in that building where stage two is set to pop off and if i were angela i'm not sure i would put a lot of stock in what's happened but it seems like what's happening with angela and White Rose does involve taking a lot on belief. And that's the second part of this conversation. Angela asks Irving, like, hey, did did I just have to ask you, did White Rose ever show you? And Irving instantly seems to know what she's talking about. He's like, yep. And Angela says, well, do you believe in it? And then I think that, again, we have another interesting Irving sales pitch answer. What does he say here? 
he basically says like look at technology now like the ribs i'm eating right now they might not even be real like they could be grown in a lab uh and like even if they weren't like could you have made these ribs this good a hundred years ago uh and then angela says i'm not talking about ribs yeah, I'm talking. About, I'm talking about a single rib. I'm just talking about one piece of ribs. Uh, and Irving says, "My point is, I think anything's possible." Which is, uh, and that's how the scene ends. Uh, we 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 see Angela's reaction to that, and then the scene ends. Do you think this is more? Do you think Irving is a true believer? Like, where where what is your view on Irving after four episodes here? Do we think that Irving is fully on board with White Rose's plan? Angela is suffering from some true believerism, and I think she's having a little bit of second thoughts about the true believerism. But she seems to be what hooked her in was this idea that you could reset things, and that's what she talks about at the end of episode one when Robot asks her why are you doing what you're doing i'm not sure that that's what's driving irving he doesn't strike me he strikes me as a lot more pragmatic and a lot more manipulative he put it he's like a more subtle guy he he prefers to move more quietly but is is he also just behind this project because he wants to change timelines is is that your read on this no, definitely not. Can't imagine that that's the case at all. There's two things that I could see as being equally likely things for Irving right now. Um, he may have been shown something similar to what Angela saw from White Rose, some sort of concrete proof of some sort of technological advancement or whatever the heck this thing is, whatever this project is that White Rose has in mind. Something that was convincing enough to Irving to get Irving to be like, Okay, so this is a storm that's coming and I better wear the best rain, raincoat that I can possibly get. You know, like this is a guy who we have seen him operating in the post 5-9 world in a very casual and relaxed way because he seems to be somebody who moves within the chaos. He can move. He, he can, you know, he can change with the tide. Like that is something that is well within his skill set. And I think if you give this guy the irrefutable proof that there is some sort of sea change coming via white rose, I think he, he bends into that. He's good with that. So that's that's one possibility that I could see. I can't imagine it being anything emotional, like anything that's going to make him a true believer so much as it's something that's going to make him believe like this is coming and I should just, you know, lean into it. The other thing is that maybe he hasn't seen anything. Maybe the money's just really, really super good. And maybe all he needs to know is that in his dealings with Angela, he has been instructed that Angela has been shown something. She deeply believes in it. And that's really all you got to know about her. So just play along with that. Like, I think that those are the two likeliest uh, scenarios to explain Irving's behavior with Angela to me. Yeah. And either one of them speaks to the guy who's just going to pick up whatever mug he needs to to make the sale. Right. Like either one is that guy. I'm just a little curious as to whether we should be fishing or plumbing the depth for a Irving backstory. Uh, the car salesman that he was talking to that didn't make the sale last week said, well, you don't even, ha- you don't have kids. Like you don't have any kids. It not your, your kids aren't with you. This is not a guy who y- you could make up a story that he did have kids. And so what he told Tyrell was partially based in truth, but he never got them back. Something happened and he lost them. And then if that were the case, then you could see why he might be buying to this idea that you could hit the reset button and you could change the past or you could go into a different timeline where that sort of thing had happened. But I just don't sense that there's any evidence on the show that we've seen as yet that this guy's anything more than a manipulator. And I don't think we should base anything other than his privatest, quietest moments uh, 
this in terms of feeling like we know we've got this guy figured out other than the fact that he's a manipulator. That's his thing. And the only thing he seems to have told the truth about, and he said it multiple times, is he is working on a book. That's it. That's all we really seem to know about this guy. Yeah, he's, I love that he's just like planting the seeds of the book across all the different characters. So like he's just like subtly making them aware that like, hey, I've got a book coming out. So like when it comes out, would you read it? Like you think you blog about it? You know me. Yeah. Hey, uh, talk to Random House. See if they want to pick up. I don't want to self-publish. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. But no, in terms in terms of Irving and his motivations, I thought that this was another insightful uh, little little piece of information from Cora Donna this week, who says, uh, in regards to how does Irving feel when he says, I think anything is possible. This is what Cora says. I don't think Irving will ever reveal how he truly feels to anyone. To me, that's what's so compelling about his character. Anything is possible with him. He's always manipulating. He will constantly tell people whatever they need to hear in order to get them to do what he needs them to do. He will take whatever's in front of him, whether they be coffee mugs or red red wheelbarrow ribs, just uh, more than one rib, uh, and incorporate it into his persuasion. Uh, so I think I think that's I think that's great insight into this character. Like you just you can't buy anything that Irving is selling, but he's so good at selling it that you're going to buy it, and that will be to your. Uh, to your detriment. Yeah, we'll get a great scene about that later, which we'll definitely talk about. It is, it's difficult because he is a character who really preys on what people need to hear and want to hear, and he uses that to his advantage. Uh, it's, it's not a position where we don't see him interacting a ton with Elliot at this stage. We saw it at the beginning of the season, but that would be fascinating because he wouldn't know which Elliot he was talking to, so he wouldn't know how to modulate his pitch to be right for Robot or right for Elliot. It might be the the exact wrong thing to do in fact as we saw that and he where that ended with uh, with with another scene in red wheelbarrow was just irving actually showing the menace behind irving not being the charming kind salesman but saying we could put that bullet right back in your sister so ultimately i think that when he doesn't have anything else to go to he starts to reveal his true colors and what we see in those true colors is a lot of menace so either way it's to your detriment uh no matter how you're relating to irving i think it's a great performance it's a really good performance. All right. So Elliot and Darlene are going to go back to Elliot's apartment, uh, where Darlene's going to get a little bit of an update on what's going on with stage two. Turns out stage two is back in play. And like, it's great to see Elliot unloading, uh, just as Darlene had unloaded earlier in the episode to somebody that he trusts and somebody he loves. But of course, we know that Elliot giving Darlene this kind of information is a very quick path to getting this information to Dom DiPiero and the rest of the FBI. Yeah, she's a she's a conduit. She's a channel. And on some level, you do feel like Darlene is working Elliot and asking these questions because she wants to know for the FBI. But in this scene, I almost sort of felt like she wanted to know to help Elliot as well. This is Elliot leveling with her and saying, look, I don't know. I need help. I discovered this. Let me talk to you. He's bringing her back into the fold after weeks out in the cold. And I think that this is a different version of this. This isn't just her working him for the FBI, because there are there are some questions here that I think uh, they end up in a more personal, like, I want to talk to you as a person who's working with the FBI, but not on behalf of the FBI, as a person who's on the other side of this saying, Darlene basically says, like, Elliot, why haven't you turned them in? You know they're still working. She even slams his computer shut. And that, to me, indicates this. I don't want the FBI to know this. I want to talk to you on a level that isn't the FBI. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's her basically saying, like, why haven't you turned them in? And Elliot says it's not that simple. What did you think about Elliot's explanation here? 
that there's something inside of me that can't let go of what we started. Yeah. Who do you think that might be? I mean, that was great. What a, what a great way of describing Mr. Robot. You know, it, you know, the way that this show plays Elliot's situation is very dramatic and very exciting, and it gives you a weekly dose of Christian Slater. So that's all well and good. But like, this isn't a case of Elliot and Mr. Robot. This is a case of Elliot and the broken shards that are, you know, within his soul. And, you know, something that is just so bad and rageful inside of him that he just, he can't get, he can't get rid of it. Uh, and also genuine sickness, you know, genuine illness with this character. And it's dramatized in this amazing way that makes the show so exciting. But to watch Rami Malek articulate what's going on within him as Elliot in such a beautiful way, uh, in such an artful way was one of the most uh, emotionally impactful moments of the season for me so far. It's just that line of there's something inside me that can't let go of what we started. It's chilling. It's really chilling and a really great way of describing what's going on with Elliot. But he wants to do something about it. Like he wants to defeat that. He just knows he can't do that completely on his own. He needs help. And in order to get that help, he's going to enlist Darlene to to pull an all-nighter. Uh, you're, you're on the night shift now, Darlene. On the night shift, and the night shift is in a difficult spot, I'd say. There happens to be an empty, vacant apartment next to Elliot that, uh, Josh, uh, you had talked to Cordana about this. I don't feel great about Darlene. There's a lot in this episode that makes me not feel great about Darlene's future, but this is one big thing, is that she moves into this doomed apartment uh, to, to oversee Elliot. It's Shayla's apartment, Josh. Shayla's apartment, uh, of course, Shayla being Elliot's uh, temporary girlfriend who did not survive season one. It was very awful and still very traumatic to consider. Uh, she died in a very terrible way. And we don't really look in on, you know, we don't we don't talk about Shayla a lot on the show anymore. But that was a very heavy thing to have happened to Elliot earlier in this very same year that the show is still taking place. So it's still a fresh wound for him. Uh, and seeing Darlene go into that apartment kind of reopens that wound for hopefully anybody with a long enough memory to remember just how awful that was on the show. Uh, and in terms of her being in this apartment, like that gives you chills, right? Like that just gives you a little bit of pause. Uh, and I asked Corridana about this. Like, should we be like, is this like an ominous sign that like Darlene's stepping into this apartment? Like, is she going to have better luck than the last person who lived here and his response was is shayla's apartment cursed like the f society arcade that's interesting i know i say interesting a lot but that's not interesting to me uh it's frightening <laughs> it's terrifying it's scary like it's foreboding it's a lot of negative words interesting not being one of the ones i would choose it's it's something that scares me a lot and you're right shayla was a great perform great presence on the show great performance uh by the actress frankie shaw who i know cordana put a plug in for her new show that she created and stars in called smilf and it's on showtime on november 5th so if you're a fan of Shayla and Frankie Shaw's performance in Mr. Robot. Check out that show. But she ultimately is still in Elliot's mind when Elliot went on his massive rant earlier in the first episode of this season, and he got to that wall of victims. We saw some familiar faces on that wall, one of which was Gideon Goddard, but certainly one of which was Shayla's. And that is also a face we saw on a wall with the FBI, Josh, at the end of season two, directly linked to Elliot as a known homicide. And we talked about uh, in some podcast here in our run-up to season three about 
things that are baggage for Elliot, things that might come back to haunt him. And Shayla's certainly on that radar as well, especially with regard to Vera, the guy who ultimately was responsible for Shayla's death and who was at the center of that confrontation and who Elliot was on camera visiting in prison the day Vera got out of prison, right where Shayla's body was found. So there's a lot of evidence that could still drag Elliot down that is linked to Shayla. And I think seeing Shayla still be a presence on the show, even if it's in apartment form alone, serves many purposes, right? Like I said, makes me worried about Darlene staying there. But it also reminds me, yes, there was the Shayla thing in this story. Yes, this is a horrible thing that happened to her. And that still haunts Elliot psychologically, but it also might still be following Elliot around legally, or from a vengeance standpoint with regard to Vera. So there's a lot still wrapped up in Shayla. And even though we don't talk about her a ton on this show, I think still a presence, even if only in apartment form. Uh, And earlier this season, there was an in fact, a, a lingering shot on like an eviction notice in an apartment in Elliot's building. And I wondered if that was Shayla's apartment or what was going on there. And so we saw Shayla talking about her apartment in the previously on here. And this is how it comes back into the story. Elliot wants Darlene to post up there. He basically says, it's Shayla's old apartment. It's from when we were together. She gave me the keys. And I don't lose time during the day. But at night, and Darlene says something to the effect of, oh, you want me to hang around and see if you turn into Mr. Hyde and follow you to Tyrell in the dark army and that's pretty much exactly what Elliot wants her to do uh, he wants her to scout sit in that apartment and just wait and see what happens and that's difficult man that is not a good assignment it's a bad assignment yeah. uh, I mean if you're a night owl it's not the worst I guess like you could be binge watching Stranger Things and then you can listen to the Stranger Things podcast you and I recorded Antonio oh that's speaking of shameless plugs that's one of for us not even uh, for a different Showtime show yeah this is uh, we recorded the Stranger Things podcast you could do that Josh you could also be downloading Sinbad's famous genie movie, Shazam. Yeah, wait, so you said something about this to me. What 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 happened? Are we not there yet? Do we need We're to not wait? There until- yet. We can. I okay. mean, there, there's no there's no real. Uh, there's. I'm trying to think if there's a better way to get into that. But yeah, Darlene is later seen downloading a movie, which is pure bait. Uh, for for we we can talk about this. I mean, ultimately, Darlene does post up in the apartment, and later we'll see her go out and follow Elliot in the night. And what before she's doing that, we see her doing a couple things on her computer. One of the things that is ultimately depressing is we see her looking up tickets to Budapest, which, as we saw from last week's episode, was something she and Cisco had talked about doing once all of this died down. That's maybe her dream out is she's going to escape to Budapest. So she is looking up fares. But we also see her downloading what's probably like a BitTorrent or she's on some kind of client downloading a version of a film, Josh, which does not exist. It does not exist. Sinbad was never in a genie movie called Shazam, but the existence thereof is hotly debated on the internet and is often presented as proof of the Mandela effect. The same Mandela effect is part of the whole Berenstein Berenstain controversy, which some people believe points to the fact that there are parallel dimensions and at some point there was a rift and that if you believe that the the books were called Berenstain Bears and you swear they were called Berenstain Bears and now you look back at the books and they say Berenstain on the cover, 
then you're remembering a different dimension that you were part of. And at some point there was a separation. Uh, it's called the Mandela effect because people believe they really strongly believe remembering as children, the story that Nelson Mandela died in prison. And they remember this being a news story that happened. And no, we know that didn't happen. Nelson Mandela was freed from prison, was gone, went on to be elected and, and take leadership in the country where he was jailed and all of that. But there are people who swear up and down that Mandela died in jail. And, that's why it's called that. It's evidence of the rift if, if people believe that. And Shazam is this big thing. People believe, Josh, that there was a movie where Sinbad played a genie. He has denied it routinely. There is no evidence of this other than people's memories. <laughs> Are you upset? Are you laughing that I'm so triggered by this? No, I, I think the whole thing is incredible because uh, like the, the whole phenomenon, you know, however you want to react to it, react to it however you must. I think it's hysterical. Uh, it's just another sign of just the increasing fragmentations of our collective psyche. We're losing it, Antonio. We're quickly going down the drain. Uh, but I think that it's a really fun thing to put front and center on Mr. Robot as Mr. Robot is for Forcing us to confront the possibility that some sort of parallel universe storyline is in play and to bring in what has become, uh, you know, at least like an online cultural like meme war about the possible existence of two different realities based on Sinbad appearing in a genie movie called Shazam. <laughs> I just think it's spectacular that they are that they're even going there. It's just it's it's expert level trolling and it's uh, it's just a clever Easter egg for the people who are going to find it uh and that's the kind of love and care that the people who make this show are putting into the show so it just tickles me tickles yeah. me greatly it's red meat for reddit it's reddit meat it's really just this it's a bone uh to the audience who is not only looking for little details in every small scene but who will instantly recognize that detail as something which suggests something greater and get into the whole thing i mean this is a show last year that when they're talking about the fbi's secret operation they dubbed it operation Berenstain. So this is already a show that is playing with that and already a show that's had fun with that. And when you talk about alternate timelines, uh, Back to the Future 2 is something that we know is a huge source of inspiration and love for Sam Asmail. We had all the Back to the Future music in last season's finale, two episodes especially. So there are those Back to the Future connections. So this is something the show has already played with and probably will continue to play with. And you're right. It's just fun to see it as a tiny detail in a scene like this that's probably spawned dozens and dozens of posts on reddit so let's talk about f society oh my gosh speaking yeah speaking of metadata let's talk so about f society there is a man in an apartment he is watching what is he he's he, what is he watching here he's eating cereal i'm just i'm really distracted by the way in which he's eating the cereal very sloppily <laughs> he's wearing like yeah he's wearing a spaghetti strap t-shirt there's sweat and or cereal milk all over it he's in his boxer shorts on a plastic couch which is gross uh it's probably very hot i think maybe i i don't know 100 what's going on there but you're, you're talking about around labor day New York 2015. It's hot. Yeah. It's hot. It's, it's a hot. lot. It's hot. Yeah. Uh, so that he probably doesn't have air conditioning. I don't know what's going on. I think he's watching Love Actually, Josh. Oh, my God. Getting his Rick Grimes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to me, you are perfect. Like, I think that's ultimately what's happening. And or no, he's getting his Jojen Reed on. Uh, he's getting his Hugh Grant in the back of the car. I think that that's what this. <laughs> I think that's what this is. This is ultimate. Well, no, wait. I'm not talking about Divine Brown. That's a different thing. Oh my god. Yeah, no. Well, this we're, we're going way back with that one. That's a different time. He timeline. feels it in his fingers. Yeah. So he's just enjoying Love Actually, eating cereal, fruity pebbles. The 
phone is ringing. Uh, I guess the phone ringing must be his signal that the FBI is about to bust in, and he straps on an F Society mask, and he's calmly waiting for the for the FBI to show up. Um, and just to to skip ahead one scene later, just to to put a bow on this, we're going to see him in an interrogation room with Dom DiPiero, who is going to bring up F Society and bring up White Rose and all of that. And who is your leader? Who who do you report to? And the answer in just like the most incredible line delivery ever is F society. Uh, and it's just great. And I don't really know exactly what's going on in this scene, but I think you've got some hot takes. Well, and, and it's also informed. We can skip ahead one more scene because this is all really one continuous storyline with these three scenes. The the issue in the, the questioning scene is DDP and her partner are bracing that dude, and he's not saying anything, and he's not really reacting at all. And the, DDP is frustrated, and she's getting into, like, do you know Darlene Alderson? Do you know Elliot Alderson? Did you work with Tyrell Wellick? She's doing the, the due diligence that she's supposed to do. Remember, her job as an FBI agent is to focus on is to focus on Tyrell Wellick and F Society. That's her job. The issue is that she's wanted to stray from that and involve the Dark Army. We now know after last week's episode that her boss, Santiago, is a Dark Army double agent, that he is a mole, that he's a moly moly mole, as you like to put it, and that he's involved with the Dark Army and that he has repeatedly thrown DDP off the scent of the Dark Army because he's trying to keep the Dark Army out of this. That's his job. And he's done some horrible things in pursuance of that. He's killed a police officer and he's done other things we know to get DDP off the scent and to help the Dark Army's agenda. So he doesn't want DDP talking about the Dark Army. The other thing that we know is that White Rose has asked Frank Cody, the conspiracy theorist and talk show host, to place F Society's origins in Iran. That is something she requ- he requested as Minister Zhang uh, to Frank Cody uh, and his secret island home, as we saw in last episode as well. And I think what we're seeing in this scene, Darlene or DDP starts questioning the guy and she asks, what about? What about White Rose? What about White Rose? And when she does this, the music picks up. The guy's eyes shift. Norm looks at DDP like, why are you talking about White Rose? What are you doing? Like, we're supposed to be talking about other things. F Society. And that's what we see in the next scene. When this is all over and the guy says, "My his boss is F Society. When DDP and Norm are talking, Norm is basically like, why are you bringing up this, like, this fairy tale of White Rose, this mythical person? And why are you talking about the Dark Army? We, got, we took an F Society guy in and an F Society guy F society's off the charts talking about it. And Darlene or DP points out, look, everything led us directly to this guy. Like, how did we find him? And I think when you combine that with the fact that this dude was totally waiting on them showing up, he was prepared when they showed up and he's only got this one line. This is a plant, right? Like this is a dark army white rose plant to link F society to Iran in some way. That has to be it, right? I think that sounds right. Like that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like this guy doesn't seem to have any real knowledge of what F society actually is other than he's fulfilling some kind of role. Right. This is a, this he's is a, a soldier. Play. It's a charade. Exactly. Yeah. It's a total charade. It's a total charade. And this is, uh, DDP, I don't think has caught onto that, but she does know something is fishy. She certainly says, like, this dude handed me the location. And I think that's a metadata thing, Josh. I think that's one of the other instances of metadata here because when Elliot 
it talks about metadata in the voiceover at the beginning. He says, like most pe- most pics people post on Instagram and Facebook, they don't realize they've just gifted whatever social media site, their camera type, phone model, name, and location, all hidden inside the photograph's metadata. That is exactly what they use to trace this guy back to F, you know, to the F society, basically to trace the video back to this specific guy. They found his location through the metadata in the video and through the website that he used to post it. Now, you tell me, F Society, usually pretty much uh, smarter than that, I'd say. Usually pretty tuned in to the fact that you can't just leave that sort of thing lying around or they will they will hit you for it. This seems like almost too, it's, it's just too convenient. The metadata would lead them right to this guy. It's just one of those things where it's it, you cannot expect that this would be that easy. And it is that easy. And Darlene, or DDP, to her credit, realizes we got all that data. It led us right to this guy. It shouldn't have been that easy. So the fact that it is that easy tells me that this is part of the uh, what White Rose wants the official story to be. Agreed. Agreed. So I don't think we're going to see this guy again. Uh, Do you think Elliot's involved with it at all with his voiceover about metadata? Did he know that this was going to happen? Is it more of just a thematic connection? I think it's more of just a thematic connection. I don't think that it's any sort of... I, I feel like that level of like White Rose's machinations, like that's not accessible to Elliot. Yeah, at least not probably, at this point. At least you're not, probably not right. right. Yeah, because White Rose has said when she met with Elliot in season one, you'll never meet me again and it won't matter. So I don't think that unless Irving is secretly working Mr. Robot Elliot at night, I don't know how Elliot would be getting that, that kind of connection. And it's Elliot who's giving that voiceover, not Mr. Robot. So I don't see it either. So apparently there's a work party for uh, E-Corp that <sighs> Elliot attends that we don't get to see. So like... What the hell, uh, Mr. Robot Writers? Sam Esmail, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you? What are you doing like, holding that back from us? Let's Elliot blame, had a work party. USA. Let's blame USA. I think if they had more time, they would have. Uh, they would have probably put that in the episode. But yeah, is there anything, anything more to that? Do you think that there's a reason we didn't see it? No, I think it just didn't fit for flow. Uh, and apparently, whatever the content of the work party was going to be, we may see again at a certain point in time, according to Corridana, which is exciting. Uh, the, he says there was a work party in the original script, but we ended up cutting it due to timing and pacing issues. It was a great scene where some characters who never met before have a fascinating exchange. I have a feeling this idea will come back in a future storyline, but it will be set in a different environment. Uh, I would like to just posit that that is Elliot and Philip Price. Ooh. Wow, that would be pretty great. Uh, that, I mean, that, who else is that going to be like at, at E-Corp? Characters that would be at an E-Corp office party meeting for the first time. Characters who have not been in a scene together and would have a fascinating exchange. That's Elliot and Philip Price. Could even have Mr. Robot in the mix for that. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I, we do have Elliot's name brought up to Philip Price later in this episode. So I do wonder what was he meant to have known? That's uh, fascinating. So I have no idea. That's a, I think that's a really good flag to plant, Josh, based on that answer. Because I, yeah, I don't know what other characters there would be who could be at an E Corp party that haven't met. It's not like Tyrell's rolling up to that party. Not anytime soon. <laughs> no, no. Scott, maybe Scott Knowles is in there. Maybe it's Scott Knowles and Elliot with some wine teeth. I Scott Knowles he, might be locked up. Yeah, if Scott Knowles is even free, I don't think that they're letting his wine teeth anywhere near any of these e-court parties right now. <laughs> That's too bad, because that would be great if he's just slurring his way through. The, you said your name was Elliot Alderson. Yeah, that would be pretty great. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm sad that the idea that we're not going to see Scott Knowles on the show anymore. 
So Elliot and Darlene, they're going to go out for a little walk. They're walking Flipper and they make a vengeance pact. You know, I'll kill like whoever. I'll kill whoever kills you if you kill whoever kills me. Uh, and I guess that's a thing. And so they're both like really eagerly into it. And look, I'm hoping and I don't think that it's completely unrealistic, but I'm very much hoping that this is just on the show as kind of like a great whimsical moment between the Alders and siblings. I don't think that's completely off the table, especially the way that it's delivered with Elliot being like, F yeah, I'm in, of course. You know, like, it's just like, it's really kind of funny and it's a great moment between two siblings. Yeah. Like, this is like, you, you mm-hmm. feel this dynamic with like yeah. your brother or your sister. Like, that's something that you can feel. But like, uh, this yeah. is, I'm reminded th- of all those whimsical moments Chekhov wrote about putting guns in drawers in the first act of plays. It, that's the, the thing is like, this is also Mr. Robot where bad things happen very often to people in unexpected ways and at unexpected times. And Darlene is a character that you ought to be worried about if you're not worried about already, just based on everything that is going on in her life uh, in the context of the show and the sense of dread that's been building up underneath the character for a good little while now. Uh, the fact that there is now an active vengeance pact in the works as much as i want it to just be a whimsical thing makes you feel like vengeance will be uh, needed to be carried out at some point down the line yeah i'm worried darlene just elevator pitch season four uh mr robot to, to elliot there and uh that not that i wouldn't watch that not that i wouldn't want to see elliot extract like great vengeance and furious anger as white rose has said and not that i don't think there's probably room for that to happen on this show regardless of what happens with darlene i think we've been speculating that we could end up with an Elliot versus White Rose story at some point in this story. But I don't like the idea that it's going to happen because of something that happens to Darlene. And it does feel like the show is either laying the groundwork for that or playing with laying the groundwork for that, knowing that people will put alarm bells over that scene and using that to ratchet up our tension, which to me is as, as likely an outcome as something bad happening to Darlene. Honestly, this is a show that does a great job of setting up expectations and either directly delivering on them as it was with the twist in season one or playing with them significantly as we've seen throughout. So I'm not a hundred percent sure ultimately if this is death for Darlene as, as far as all the things that happened on this episode though, whether it's her pricing tickets to Budapest, her listening to Elliot Smith, her placing the Polaroid back in the room, her staying in Shayla's apartment. This is the one that concerns me the most when it comes to her future. And so it's got to make you really nervous when we get this really, really terrific sequence starring Darlene tracking Elliot leaving his apartment now in full-blown robot mode. Uh, and it's just very tense and it's got this great espionage feel about it. It's the thick of night in the middle of New York City. Apparently a very hot summer night, according to Cora Adana. Uh, and Darlene is going to peek around the corner and see that robot and Angela are in cahoots. This is a bad thing. This is a bad thing for Darlene to have to see uh, because Angela's not just Elliot's old friend. Angela and Darlene go back quite a ways. Uh, this is this is awful. This is a terrible thing for her to have to witness. And it's great, right? Because we have seen Darlene and, and Angela accusing Darlene, and we've seen that role of Darlene being the problematic trigger in Elliot's life be something that's been a point of contention between these two characters. And now I think what we're realizing, or what Darlene is realizing, is that bitch, like she accused me 
of being the trigger. She accused me of being the one who's problematic in his life. And she said, I shouldn't have come back to the city and all of this. When in reality, it's her. She is doing it. She is actively courting this nighttime Elliot. And Lord knows what nefarious things they're getting up to. But it probably involves Tyrell Wellick. And it probably involves the Dark Army. Like, you can imagine the way this must make Darlene feel, knowing what we know about Darlene and Angela's relationship. So I do think that this is, as you put, as you point out, like it is a fantastically shot that the night New York espionage stuff is just like right in my wheelhouse. I thought it was, I thought, I do think Mr. Robot walked past the same Chinese restaurant like five times. I know it wasn't, but to me, the, the way they shoot the New York streetscapes, it just all looks so burnt out and so nighttime. And so, except for where Darlene walks through the, the Shantyville, the Hoover Town, whatever that is, it did look very just like, oh, nighttimey street corner, no one's around. We get to that 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 subway stop, East Broadway F train, Josh. Is this a good New York stop for you? Is this something where you knew right away where they were? Yeah, this is along my my path home, uh if I'm if I'm going from Manhattan to Brooklyn. So I, I know it well. Uh yeah, they are very much in lower Manhattan right now, uh, you know, one stop away from Brooklyn at this point. Uh so that gives you a sense of, of where they are in relation to the whole planning of uh of stage two, where it turns out like Tyrell Wellick, one week after watching him say that he would never betray Elliot, he will always be loyal to Elliot. He just stopped short of confessing his full on love for Elliot. Elliot because Elliot told him that some things are better left in subtext. Uh, Tyrell seems to be pretty out on Elliot after this scene. You can understand why, but it does seem like a very uh, direct contrast to what happened in episode three. Although we have to keep in mind that a lot of time, six weeks passed between the end of episode three and where we are in the story now. And Ty- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, and that's to- that's totally, totally fair. And I think that, you know, episode three does end in the way where Tyrell is looking at Elliot on, um, you know, the, the operating table, basically. And for the first time in a long time, understanding uh, the first time ever rather understanding that the Elliot that he thinks uh, exists there are there's more than one of that guy uh, and that's not always the guy and I think that that's where his thinking is probably starting to shift but I do think if there's a, a critique to be leveled at the show I think to, to have jumped from that Tyrell episode where you are you are watching Tyrell's entire emotional journey over the course of several weeks in one single episode where his emotions for Elliot are so heightened in one way and then in the very next episode where granted yes a lot of time has passed in terms of the story but in terms of the consumption of the story barely any time at all has passed there's a little bit of whiplash involved for me anyway in just how quickly tyrell is out on elliot like it makes sense fundamentally in terms of the the chronology of events but just in terms of the experience of the events uh it's a really really quick snap to to getting to this level of like physical violence between Tyrell and Elliot and Tyrell's later going to have a scene with Irving where he's like this is all over we were going to be gods together he's punking out on me uh like it's a very dramatic shift really quickly in terms of the airing of the show yeah, it is. And we, we have to keep in mind as well, we ha- have at least that one scene between Tyrell and Mr. Robot when Mr. Robot comes back to the, the staging area here when he first gets back in episode one and he says, like, Tyrell is really shook and he's very concerned about how this is going to play that he shot Elliot. And Mr. Robot says, like, it's okay. You just did what I asked of you. You had a piss poor marksmanship, though. You didn't have any vile organs. Like, he's kind of breaking balls a little bit. He's just giving him a 
little bit of a hard time, and they seemed to be on good terms then. But you can only imagine what it must be like to deal with all of this. And you have to keep in mind the knowledge that we have now after last episode, which is that Tyrell does know that this is an Elliot who's two different people. And that that Elliot, this is the, the scene where Tyrell shoots Elliot is something that he would still be carrying with him over those six weeks. It's not something you don't get better after shooting the person you love, like in a, in a fit of like very confused protection and all of everything that was, it doesn't get fixed overnight. And it certainly doesn't get fixed when the person that you love has a dual personality that is operating directly against what you and the other person are dealing with. And that's what's happening with Tyrell is that Elliot during the daytime, as Tyrell points out, is undermining the cause that Tyrell and Mr. Robot are working at at nighttime. So you can imagine that Tyrell's a little bit as wit's end. He sacrificed everything to be with this guy. He's been away from his wife and his kid. He hasn't been able, Josh, to access the baby monitor. Oh, boy. That's going to be fine. He's going to be on a flight to the Ukraine on Monday with Joanna and the baby, and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, which, by the way, everything's fine in the Ukraine. Like, nothing bad goes on there, uh, but and, and nothing bad will go on there in the era of 2015 to 2017. Uh, but yeah, that's it's not going to be fine. Regardless, it's not going to be fine. We know it's not going to be fine. And so, yeah, this is a guy who is carrying around all of that and everything that was upsetting to him in episode three with him into this episode. So while it's a jarring comparison between the time of episode three and episode four the time of the show wise a lot of time has passed and he has reason to be concerned right because angela has discovered what elliot has been up to during the day why angela didn't know this until then that's a a bit concerning to me like why wasn't there more oversight of what norm elliot was doing during the day but uh mr robot elliot is is as upset as anybody and yeah we're in a bad position josh stage two needs to happen per white rose's timeline but it really seems like only 17 of the 71 facilities have their papers in that building yeah because elliot's been doing it Elliot's been getting it done and yep. it's been working, but now they are they're hip to what Elliot's been doing. And timeline wise, just in terms of when this needs to be executed, it's looking like it's not possible. Uh, which is why Tyrell is so furious and why it gets physical between Robot and Tyrell. And then they have bigger imminent problems, uh, which is that Robot is transforming back into Elliot right in front of everybody, uh, in the middle of a very bad situation where this should not be happening. Um, Angela is able to stop it. She's able to contain it. She injects Elliot with something. Um, and we still don't know yet because we have not seen uh, Elliot Alderson wake up since this scene. What's he going to remember of this? Because he's got eyes on Tyrell and Angela. Yes, he does. You know, great how's question. that going to play? How's great that going to play out? Great question. Yeah, that's what I'm certainly interested in finding out uh, is how does this play? I mean, as we leave the episode and we'll talk about it, Angela is keeping Robot there and Robot's complaining like he's going to come back. Like he's going to it's going to happen. Like, what are we going to do? And you can imagine Robot's quandary because to, to eliminate Elliot from existence entirely would mean eliminating himself. So what's a man to do? Uh, I don't know. Does does Mr. Robot he can just never go to sleep? Is that what this is? Like, I really don't know what's happening here, but it's not good because Elliot does witness this. And I don't know about the rules of what causes these disintegrations. I know the general rules are that Elliot can't hear what Robot observes. He can't see or hear it and vice versa. So that when one person, when Mr. Robot is doing something, Elliot may not know what's going on. He'll have to find out later. But this is a time where the switch occurred and Elliot 
did see Angela and Tyrell. And in his head, unfortunately, as he's passing out, says to us, please tell me you know what's happening. Please tell me you know what's happening. And yeah, Elliot, we do, but we can't tell you. Like, we know what's happening. And that makes it, I think you talk about dramatic irony and the idea that we know something in terms of Santiago being dirty that the characters don't. We also know what's going on with this plan that Elliot doesn't. And we know about Angela and we know what's happened there. So there's a lot of mileage out of this that the, the show is definitely getting. But I, I don't know. Did you feel like we got enough out of the robot and Tyrell? Is there more to come on the robot and Tyrell relationship? A lot of people ship Tyrell yet. This is a, it looks like the ship is, is sailing, if not sailed in this scene. I mean, robot slams Tyrell up against the wall, calls him a Swedish scum, uh, hard F fornication under consent of the king. Like, uh, this is a, this is a, a deal breaker, I think. Yeah, I think we are trending closer to the direction of like, rather than the two of them, you know, getting away to like the plains of Naboo and solidifying their romance for each other. I think that this is going to be more like Anakin and Obi-Wan on a fire planet fighting each other to, to the pain, if not to the death. Uh, like I, like you can, like you can, you can see, uh, you can see Darth Elliot on the hill and, uh, Tyrell Wan Kenobi just shouting up at him. You were supposed to be the chosen one. Like it just, like that's where this is going. It's like, I, I feel like we are we're heading towards some sort of conflict here because Tyrell is going to exit this episode feeling galvanized in his ability to pull off stage two for the Dark Army because Irving is such a good salesman and he's going to prop him up really, really nicely. And Tyrell is going to feel like, OK, so we're not going to be gods together. I'm going to be the god like I'm going to get it done. And like he has a plan in place in order to get it all done. Uh, so that's going to be a guy that if Elliot has to confront that man, that's never going to go well. Like our Elliot is not going to be down with the things that Tyrell wants. So I think it's always been trending in this direction. Like it's always been trending towards conflict. And I think it'll be a violent conflict before this whole thing is said and done. Like I, I feel very strongly that, uh, that Tyrell could, could suffer physical consequences at Elliot's own hands at some point down the line, just because he was saved by one bullet before doesn't mean it'll happen again. Uh, and I do feel like we're closer to that after the exchanges that take place in this week's episode. So Tyrell was in love with Elliot and he fell in love with the robot side of Elliot is that fair to say yeah I think it's the rage right like that feels like what would attract Tyrell so and if we know that robot represents rage according to the way that like White Rose broke it down in the season premiere I think that that's Tyrell's guy yeah we had a question from at coaches underscore beard on Twitter and said are we heading toward a weird love triangle with Tyrell in love with robot and Elliot in love with Tyrell and I see the first part of that but I don't see any of the Elliot loving Tyrell or any bond between Elliot and Tyrell that doesn't relate to robot I don't think Robot really has any love loss for Tyrell, and I don't see Elliot having any feelings for Tyrell. I just think this is once you once the breach occurs between Tyrell and love, his love of Mr. Robot, I think this whole thing is over, and I think it's only headed in one direction, like you're saying, and not the uh, not the boy band. Uh, it's the, the the Naboo, and not the Naboo uh, planet. It's it's the confrontation for sure. <laughs> so we'll, I'm not we'll as see good what... at the Princess Bride Star Wars Mr. Robot interweaving in one sentence as you are. No, you were great. You were great. It was fantastic. No, so we'll, we'll see where that's all going. But Tyrell is going to feel like he uh, he's back on track. Uh, 
that seems terrifying, you know, when he's like, I need the entire force of the Dark Army behind yeah, me. And Irving's like, heck? yeah, that's great. It's like, ah, that, that's, that's scary. That's, so, that's I mean, that, that won't end well because what he, so the, the issue is, and, and Tyrell talks about this with Angela in the previous scene where they're fighting over whether it can be done or not. They can't get the paperwork there without arousing, like, huge suspicion if you're trying to ship in one weekend all of the paper documents around the world via plane via via trucks however you want to get it there to one building in new york people are going to notice people are going to say major e-corp effort underway to get all these documents in one building and if that occurs that's probably going to ring some alarm bells that that, that even within e-corp or otherwise people are going to say why is this happening and then that might prevent stage two from happening so is tyrell like does i just I don't know what to think. Like, is he on board with that? Angela mentions like, well, if we do it under the weekend, we can do it under the cover. I mean, is Tyrell, what is he? The dark army is going to be couriers and they're going to take every document by motorcycle to this building in New York. Is that what we're going to see? I need every single member of the dark army to get their truck driving license really quickly and drive all of these paper documents manually to New York. That's what we got to do. That is the full force of the dark army. That seems like uh, it seems from a time standpoint. That seems unlikely. They want. They might not. Yeah, that, I'm a little concerned. I'm just very concerned because th- there doesn't in that scene when Irving's meeting with Tyrell and Irving gives him the. It's a great Irving scene because he does another one of his sales pitches where Tyrell is complaining about losing his partner. We were supposed to be gods together, and I need more time. All of this. Irving is saying that sounds like a YP, not an MP, a your problem, not a my problem. And then he says, I get that you and Elliot are having interpersonal issues. Sometimes coworkers find they aren't the right fit, but they still got to finish the job. And by the way, you and I both know Elliot isn't a god. He basically says, like, if this is proving anything, it's that you're the god, Tyrell. Like you, this is your destiny. This is your moment. This is the moment you were born for. And that really does seem to make the, these delusions of grandeur and Tyrell as a special person who was destined for something i don't know how irving really got that read into it uh but that is the right button to push with tyrell because he says basically all right yeah we can do it and there isn't much thought so i i didn't get the sense that tyrell was formulating some grand plan that he had some other idea that we don't know about so i when he's when he comes up with this and says i need the full force of the dark army my mind immediately goes to for what and i just can't answer that i have no clue what tyrell wants to do other than use the dark army to get all the documents there, which is a slapstick way of doing it, if you ask me. I mean, you and I have both made jokes about it at this point, so I don't know what that looks like, but I'm a little scared because on a show like Mr. Robot, if you don't know what it looks like, it could be very bad. Uh, Tyrell wants Irving to check in on Joanna, like, just make sure she's all right, make sure she knows what the plan is. And Irving's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get into that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll get into that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know Irving knows, right? We know Irving knows because Santiago's dark army and Santiago probably immediately reported back. And yeah. that's probably why the where the baby is. So maybe they can set up a faux monitor. But what's what are they going to do with? Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. And boy, Josh, if we have to see like a Joanna Wallach corpse, I, I don't want any part of this. Yeah, yeah. Could be bad. 
could be bad. Um, how about Darlene and DDP meeting at a bar, uh, for a drink? Darlene wants to, wants to do more than just like a debriefing. She wants to, to play a little DDDP briefing. You know, she wants to, <laughs> she wants to get to know Dom DiPiero a little bit more. That was great. I'm a big fan of what you just did there. Yeah. Do you think that there's, uh, we talked a lot about DDDP on, uh, on our podcast in season two. We, we heavily theorized that because DDP had played the pronoun game, as Darlene puts it in this scene, in her previous discussions of her love life with White Rose or with Minister Zhang in, in China, that it's possible that DDP was engaged to a woman. We knew Darlene was running away from Cisco because Cisco wanted to get married to her. So we speculated two Jersey girls. They seemingly could have a lot in common. Uh, they seemingly both are detached, lost, alone. Is it possible that Darlene and DDP were previously an item? And that's what we speculated about throughout the course of season two. Proven incorrect by the fact that when they did interact at the end of season two, they had not previously met. But there is some some connection between these two characters that we were, I think, rightly sussing at when we were discussing how similar they were, that they could have had similar upbringings. Uh, and this is what what we're getting at in this scene. We're, we're seeing a connection between these two characters. Darlena said, we're going to do this my way. I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, my thing is, Josh, and this, I know this isn't just my thing. I've seen this commented in various places. When a hacker is asking you personal questions like this, is it not always social engineering? Yeah, pretty much. So she's asking her things that she could probably use for passwords, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> is, is Darlene getting information about DDP because she just wants to be friends with her? Or is there an ulterior motive to what Darlene is doing here? And I, that's the part I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about. She's asking enough questions that I think if she wanted to start cracking passwords, she could get at it. And uh, the T-neck thing, the two brothers thing gives her some more personal information about DDP that she could potentially use to get I information like to work DDP. Where that leads, I don't know. I'm sure the speculation is going in a million different directions. But it, it, I just feel like there might be an ulterior motive to this scene, other than that Dar Darlene needs a friend. The great thing about the scene, of course, is that it plays perfectly, perfectly well on that level. Darlene doesn't have anybody. She has no outlet. She has no friend. She's been cut off entirely from her life by virtue of working with the FBI, as she tells DDP here. And she basically says, like, when I do what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to lose my brother. So I have no one. So yeah, just talk to me as a human being for a few minutes. That's great. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it as Darlene gaming, uh, Dom, um, but that that makes a lot of sense that she would be doing that. I mean, she's also so emotionally distraught, and like we we have seen that at multiple times throughout this episode and throughout the season. That I could buy it as like an authentic moment of these two getting a little bit closer, and there's no extra there's no extra layer to it. But this is Mister Robot. There's always extra layers, uh, so you have to you have to wonder what what the what the dual purpose of the scene could be. Um, so if we see Darlene hacking DDP further down the line, I think like you're you you ought to give yourself a good pat on the back. I like like I said, uh, not just me. I just thought, is she social engineering her when I saw that scene? But I think I've seen other people posting a lot more direct theories that I think may come into fruition in one way or the other based on what people are saying. So, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on Reddit. I, I've, and I don't, I've just seen multiple people posting, like, that scene was weird to me. Why is she asking her all the questions? Is she going to steal her identity? Is she going to get compromising information about her? Is she going to pretend to be her? Uh, you'll see theories going all over the map here because, Josh, everyone on Reddit is convinced, not every 
everyone, but a lot of people are convinced that, that that Darlene is going to die. And there are some very specific theories about that. And Budapest is coming into the mix. So people are trying to reverse engineer how that could happen and stealing DDP's identity as part of that. Like Darlene could pretend to directly be her. I'm not sure what we need. I mean, the FBI was already owned, but we saw that DDP keeps a lot of her personal information in her safe at home. Uh, we've seen some some glimpses of her home life in season two that we haven't seen here in season three. So I think hacking DDP would require a lot more than just getting into her FBI email account. I think it would re- require a much deeper dive that I'm not sure J- Darlene could do with the basic information she might have gleaned from this scene. Can we um can I just like put this out there? Can we not try to reverse engineer Darlene's death? Because why put that out there? Why are yeah, we doing it's a that? Good, it's a good point. That's a good point. Uh and not just her death, but the manner in which it will occur. Yeah, can we not do that? Let's not here. do that. Let's let's be positive. Let's think positively. She's gonna be fine. The vengeance pact is no big deal. Everything's gonna be okay. It's maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll kill Flipper and they'll get vengeance for Flipper. <laughs> oh come on! Yeah. Oh, it's, it's also bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, Elliot's going to get fired. Uh, that's coming up. Angela yeah. calls Philip Price, her boy Phil. Uh, she gives Philly a ring and says, "I need you to fire Elliot, uh, ban him from E Corp. I have my reasons, and I'm not going to tell them to you. Uh, my discretion is important." And Price is like pushing her just a little bit on it but she basically just doubles down on exactly what she said and price like all right consider it done which is interesting on multiple levels in terms of price's interactions with angela yep. uh, does does this indicate to us that he doesn't understand who elliot is you know what elliot is capable of why would he be so willing to just dump elliot alderson if elliot alderson was within the belly of the beast of e-corp if he knew who elliot truly was if he does know who elliot is does this speak to who price views as higher on the food chain in the hierarchy of angela and elliot you know there's a lot of questions that i have stemming from price's just very very easy yes to to angela's big request here He's a smart guy. He's always one of the most powerful people in any room he goes into. We've seen is he him- or does he just think that? You know, well, like we take seen- that at face value, but like, is that actually true or is he like on the outs of something here? It's a good question. We're ta- we haven't talked about one piece of key knowledge that weighs on this conversation, which is that Price knows that White Rose has met with Angela, or at least that White Rose knows who Angela is and has contemplated causing harm to Angela. White Rose used that against Price uh, earlier in the season when he said, I want to put a bullet in each one of her eyes, so, you know, all those things. So we know that Price knows that. We know that Price knows that White that Angela has been on White Rose's target list, that Angela tried to screw him over. We know that she we know that Price knows or at least has been informed that Angela tried to take damning documents out of E-Corp and take them and dime them out to the government. And we know that a dark army agent was working in the government at that time and flagged them. And that's what put her on White Rose's radar. We know that Philip Price knows all of that. And so when Philip Price says to Angela in this conversation, like, is this your request? Or he says, and this is your request. He doesn't put the emphasis on, on your, but that's what I heard. I heard, like, are you doing this under duress? Is this something that you want? Or were you 
you told to do this by my adversary? And keeping that in mind, I got to assume that this is going to be something that Price is not just going to vanilla follow through on, that this now would put Elliot fully on Philip Price's radar as someone potentially involved in these dark army machinations. And this also, in my opinion, this this is it's like a chess game. Like, does Philip Price now not want to fire Elliot because he thinks by leaving Elliot in place, it might affect some dark army plan? Does he want to fire him more? Like, where does this move the needle with that knowledge that Philip Price would have that El- that Angela is potentially compromised by the dark army and that you can't necessarily deal with her on the level because she tried to stab you in the back already? So I don't think this is just a vanilla scene where Philip Price is going to follow through. Elliot's fired, never to be seen or heard from at E Corp again. I think this is something where Philip Price has a lot more knowledge. Whether or not he's brilliant and able to outflank White Rose here, that I can't say because you, you're right. We don't really know. If he's often the smartest guy in the room, but he's smart enough to know that he remembers that White Rose and Angela are are in in some kind of relationship or they had some kind of contact and White and Angela's on White Rose's radar. So I can't imagine he'll just blindly do what Angela says here. So Angela's going to hang up the phone with Price and Mr. Robot's just going to be like kind of emo about everything like, "Ah, oh, it's going to figure it out. This sucks. Emo-bot. Everything's emo bot." Yes, yeah. yeah. So he's very upset. He's just but whining. Then, yeah, stop whining. Uh, Angela's going to get a text. It's from Irving, who is probably just like barbecuing up his phone as he is typing with those. <laughs> it's a mop sauce. D- with, with those mop sauced damn meaty hands of his <laughs> as he is just typing away to Angela to let her know that we're ready to go on Monday. But how is that possible, Antonio? <sighs> I mean, this is what Tyrell has promised. So again, we don't know what the, uh, what the plan is, but this seems to be, it seems to be ready to go in the mix. And I guess 13 days have passed since the beginning of this or 10 days. Like, I guess we've gotten closer to the point where we're going to be ready to go on Monday. I don't know, but, uh, we seem to be very close to stage two, which makes me excited for the next couple of episodes to say the least. Like this thing, we speculated earlier in the season whether we would have stage two before the end of the year. It seems like we're going to have it in the next few episodes. Crazy town. So yeah. we'll see. Tracking it. Tracking yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know unless we go to extreme flashback territory and we do multiple flashbacks. And I just don't see how we're not getting to the denouement of this story within the next few episodes. And so that's yeah. very exciting. Uh, and it is something that took Angela and Robot by surprise. So whatever Tyrell's plan is, I guess they'll be informed about it subsequently. They don't seem to know the details as yet. The episode ends with the return of Elliot Smith and the apparent departure, not the sudden departure, though I guess kind of a sudden departure of sorts of Darlene Alderson, who is going to show up at Elliot's apartment. She is going to return the Polaroid to its rightful place on the shelf, and then she is going to leave and uh, shrug emoji. I don't know. I don't know where she's going. No idea. Uh, This is a sad, kind of depressing, melancholy episode for Darlene, and I can't feel like there's anything great in her immediate future. Uh, so who knows what's on her mind as she is leaving here? Next steps, TBD. Some cool theories that we have batted back and forth here. Anything else to add on the Darlene front? 
No, uh, this is it's super depressing, like you said. And she was debated as to whether she was a flight risk last episode, and there was some there was some talk of that. Uh, she's been looking specifically at Budapest. I don't see how she could leave the country, Josh. I think that's why a lot of people are speculating that she might be trying to steal DDP's identity. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, what's her out? Like, where could she possibly go? I don't I don't know what her I don't know what her options are. I don't know that she knows what her options are. And I think that that's ultimately, she cannot want to be involved in any of this. She cannot want to do any of what she's doing. But at the end of the day, what, what choice does she have? It's a good question. Good yeah. question. You know, yeah. hard, hard to know. She's in a really, really difficult spot. Um, and that's been, you know, it, I think your, your mileage varies on whether or not the show's decision to not just, just be completely focused on Elliot Alderson and to really blow up the world and really spend time fleshing out all these characters. Like that's where some people were lost in the season two weeds. You and I are very on the record that we love that stuff. And that makes an episode like this one really rewarding that we got to spend so much time with Darlene last year and really see what she was going through firsthand and like she's really at like you know in, at the choking point of some awful stuff right now um and it seems like whatever it is that's going to happen next she uh, she strikes me as as being proactive about whatever's coming next like whether she's rushing towards a terrible decision or rushing towards a great decision or rushing towards a difficult decision that will just have to be made because you can't do nothing tbd uh, but we will we will find out more about that soon. I think just right now, like you can really feel that pressure point really getting close to bursting um, because we've spent so much time with Darlene and we've gotten to see her in in such an intimate way over the course of the episodes of Mr. Robot recently and this one in particular. So it's exciting stuff. Who knows where it's going? Uh, episode five coming up just a just a few more days away, Antonio, and we will be halfway home through season three of Mr. Robot. <sighs> It makes me sad to think about it because this season has been so good that we're just like a week away from being halfway over. I just want it more and more. Uh, this forward propulsion in season three has been something to marvel at. And we talked about how this episode did cover some time. I mean, we got to a point where we're now ready, it seems, to do stage two. But it was also what Mr. Robot does so well is what I said at the top of this podcast, which is the character work that it delved into, the atmosphere that was created, just the feeling that was generated whether it was with Elliot Smith, Elliot Alderson, or the way that the, the episode was shot, scored, tracked, whatever it was. Uh, it, it's just really... <sighs> I cannot believe we're through four episodes already and we're, we're marching into the halfway point of the season. And if season two happens anywhere near the halfway point of the season, what does that mean for the rest of the season, Josh? Like, what are we going to get out of that? I'm just, um, my mind reels with the possibilities. All right. Well, we will be back discussing all of the actualities of episode five when episode five airs next week. If you haven't already, please subscribe. PostShowRecaps.com slash robot. Your ratings and reviews. Much appreciated. Follow Antonio. He's on the Twitters. AC Mazzaro. How many Zs? How many Rs? How many Os for that matter? <laughs> Two Zs, one R, one O right at the end. Right at the end. I am at Round Howard. We'll be back in a week's time. Anything else, Antonia? No, I just, uh, I'm really, I feel terrible for Joanna Wellick, and I feel a lot of dread about what's going to happen with that scene. It's a Mr. Robot thing where in season two, Romero caught the stray bullet, and it caused all these plans to go awry, as, Dar as DDP observed to Darlene. It caused them all to scurry because they thought the Dark Army was involved. And now Joanne, Joanna has done the same thing. Freak accident, uh, freak death for Joanna is going to cause the same 
same sort of panic and the same sort of problems for Tyrell. What's that going to look like? What's that going to affect on stage two? How is Irving going to handle this? Who's going to die? Like, I have a lot of dread after this episode. And I'm certainly, I'm certainly feeling the dread that Mr. Robot does such a good job of generating. But I'm thankful for everybody listening to the podcast, tweeting at us, sending us feedback. Uh, that is not dreadful at all. That's always much appreciated. So thanks to everybody for doing that. And we'll definitely be back next week to talk about whatever they're promising. They're promising, this is a tease, Josh, but they're promising a groundbreaking event or groundbreaking episode commercial free on USA next week of Mr. Robot, Josh. It's just going to be the full cast of Mr. Robot jumping up and down really hard on the ground and they're going to break the ground. And that's <laughs> that's going to be the episode. It's a groundbreaking episode with no commercials. So it's going to be that for an hour straight. I can't wait. It sounds like the best episode of Mr. Robot of all time. All right, we'll talk about it next week when episode five airs. Take care, everybody. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye, friends. <laughs>